there's more opportunity at the end to, to gas and chat and catch up and encourage one another in the fellowship over a cuppa or something cooler uh, at the end. It's good to see you all. Um, hopefully you've got the invitation via the weekly update last week to an open house uh, that we're having at our place on Saturday the 6th of August. If you haven't, make a note, look again at the weekly update. Yeah, between 2pm and 10pm, pop in when or if you can. Um, if you do and want to pop in around 6pm, let us know if you'd like some food. Because as I described it in the weekly update, we're having a hog roast. Um, but uh, my family wanted me to point out, uh, just to manage expectations, there won't be a, you know, a livestock animal on a spit over a big open fire you know, that I've been doing this with for three days beforehand. Uh, it, it'll come out of the oven, yeah, okay, uh, and it'll go in a bat and it'll have a bit of, you know, apple sauce, you know, that kind of thing. But it's helpful to know if you're around for that. We'd love you to be around for that if you're able to, but let us know. Um, I love this scene in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe when the four children have tea with the beavers. Remember them? This is the film version. You probably can't see it in the daylight, can you? Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they've just come through the wardrobe, all four of them, into this other world. And they're very concerned. Lucy is very concerned, the youngest, because she's been there before, about her friend, Mr. Tumnus. Uh, Mr. Tumnus has been captured by the White Witch, uh, locked up in her castle. And she asks Mr. Beaver, well, asks both of them, um, what can be done? Is there, is there anything that they can do for Mr. Tumnus? And Mr. Beaver replies, there's few that go through those gates that come out again. Like that, because on the film it was Ray Winston that did the voice, so, you know, that's my best kind of, yeah, okay, thanks. We'll see how we go. Uh, and then seeing the children's despondent faces, Mrs. Beaver um, provides some fish and chips. Uh, but not quite the fish and chips that you, you or I are used to. Uh, and then she says, with Dawn French's voice, which I definitely can't do, but there is hope, dear. There is hope. And Mr. Beaver spits out his drink that he's just, you know, just put in his mouth. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a right bit more than hope. Aslan is on the move. I love that scene, and I... I didn't do it very well, did I? But it was hopefully captured something of that moment. Um, during the Transform Life series, which ended last week, by the way, we did look at two prayers of Paul. One in Ephesians chapter 1, one in Ephesians chapter 3. And what I've got for you this morning is another one of Paul's prayers. This time, it's in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and it's only one verse long. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at, uh, well, I'll read out the chapter that precedes it, or at least, you know, the half chapter that precedes it. Um, so if you've got your Bible, it will come up behind me as well. Uh, look to Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 1. We'll see it a little bit in context, if you like. It says this, Romans 15, starting at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything 
that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he's got four Old Testament quotes. As it is written, number one, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, number two, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, number three, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, number four, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, that, that is my prayer for us as a church, that you, the God of hope, would fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you, and that we would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Essentially, this is a short prayer for overflowing hope. And I'm just going to go th through phrase by phrase. Let's suck the juices out of this. And then I've got a few extra things to, to highlight afterwards. So the prayer starts, may the God of hope, because God is the source of all hope. People without God are, by definition, without hope. And hope based on anything or anyone else other than God is fragile, it's finite, and ultimately is false. God is a God of hope. He, he says, um, may the God of hope fill you. Because God isn't miserly or measly. He wants to fill you. He wants you to be maxed out, satisfied, satiated on him, on his hope. Well, actually, it says, with all joy and peace. You see, joy and peace, I believe, are evidence of hope. You try being joyful and peaceful, genuinely so, without hope. I don't think it's really possible. It's only God's hope, I believe, that will give us the joy of the Lord in its fullness. That will give us peace that transcends understanding in all its fullness. Joy and peace. We know they're part of the fruit of the Spirit. We know they're characteristics of the kingdom. But they're also the heart of the God of hope. And joy and peace is what hope feels like. If you have hope. And joy and peace is what hope looks like. 
as people look on those with hope. The prayer goes on, as you trust in him. You see, faith and hope go together. They're not the same, they're different, but they work together. The Christian life is often likened to a walk. And I think faith is one step and hope is the other. And they're the two steps we're to repeatedly take as we walk in our, in our Christian lives. But it goes on. So that, so that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That sounds good enough. As you trust in him, okay. But, you know, God wants to so fill us with his hope, with his joy, with his, with his peace. It's, it's, yes, it's for our benefit. It's for our good. But it's for another purpose. There's a bigger agenda. What is that? That you may overflow with hope. Hope is meant to be contagious. You're meant to catch it. You're meant to be infected by it, by those who have it. God wants hope to be oozing out of you and me. To the extent that it affects other people. Peter said something similar in his letter. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It seems his expectation also was that Christians would stick out in this world as those who have hope. Even through difficult times, even through challenging circumstances, others would notice and ask, what is it about you? Why are you so positive? Where's this hope? that you have coming from. And he ends by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of course, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Any hope we have, any peace and joy is, is, is from the Holy Spirit, imparted to us from him. But the thing is with us and the Holy Spirit, as many of us can testify, is we leak. We leak. And I think we're meant to. We're meant to leak the Holy Spirit. We're, we're meant to because he wants us to come back again and again Pray again and again, receive again and again, and afresh from him. So he's built us like sieves, leaky vessels, so that we're, we're reminded to come again. But I think we're meant to leak because we're meant to overflow. This is not just for us. This is to spill out. And as it, if it's going to keep spilling out, then we need to go back again to the source for more hope from the God of hope. Let me tell you about the gospel of hope. You see, verse 13, you might, you might come across it as you're reading through Romans and think, well, it's just a one verse, seems a little bit out of you know, kilter with what's gone before. Uh, it's just a bit of a filler as Paul moves from the meat of his letter, the first 15 chapters of his, his treaty on the Christian gospel, the most thorough review of what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, and then he ends up, with a chapter and a half at the end of personal greetings, little updates and uh, sign-offs, and maybe this is just his hinge, his transition gear. Well, I think it's more than that. I think, I think hope is, is a key theme of Paul's. I'm not surprised, therefore, that, that at this moment, it's hope that bubbles up to the surface in his letter writing. This concluding prayer, I don't think is just in reference to the bit I've read out. Although, if you were alert, you would have heard the word hope used a couple of times in those verses. But it's more the finale of his whole letter. Because the gospel is a gospel of hope. 
I'll take you back to those other hope references in the passage we read. Back in verse 4, he said this, For everything that was written in the past, talking about the Bible, was written to teach us. We understand that. So that through the endurance taught by Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The purpose of this book is to give us hope. A hope that will encourage us deeply. A hope that will endure, enable us to endure, persevere, keep going, carrying on in the things of God. That's what Paul says here is what the Bible's about, what it's for. And it's, it's this to illustrate this point, when he quotes those four Old Testament verses, now he's, he's in the midst of his, his discussion, his argument, if you like. He's trying to explain how Jesus, being fully God, fully man, and fully Jewish, honored both God's promises to Israel and fulfilled God's plan to save the Gentiles. So he's, he's elaborating on that point, particularly at this, this part of his, his letter, But he ends with Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11, as the fourth of those quotes. And it's a springboard, or rather maybe it's just a helpful end of the bracket of everything he's been talking about. It says this, the root of Jesse, which is code word for Jesus Christ for us, it's enough for today, will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations, talking about Jesus still, in him the Gentiles will hope. And it's as if at that moment, the dam burst for Paul. This is the theme. This is the gospel theme. The the God of hope will be worshipped, not just by the Jews, but by the Gentiles too. And and this prayer, I think, just explodes out of him spontaneously, and he writes it down. He just captures something of his joy, something of the excitement of this hope to which we've been called. Let me try and... uh, Uh, underline the point that hope is really important in life. I mean, this is generally true, I believe, for all people. But for us also as believers, hope is vital. Um, I, not so long ago, had my first ever ride in a Tesla car. Anyone driven in a Tesla car or been a passenger? No. No, there's a few. Um, And um, I didn't dress up in my smartest suit and go to the you know, the forecourt and try and convince them I had a briefcase full of cash and I was very wealthy and you should have a test drive. That wasn't me. Uh, Someone else I know has one and uh, I sat in it. But I I, I noticed there was no gear stick. You know, did you notice that? Um, And I sort of said, oh, um, are all electric cars, fully electric cars, are they automatic? I don't know. And he looked at me as if I'd come from Mars and very, very gently explained that electric cars don't have gears. What? So they, the, the battery just turns the wheels is, is the best explanation he could give it. I don't know. I'm not very, is that true? Is he, was he spinning me a yarn? <laughs> it's a whole new world, isn't it, of these fully electric things. Anyway, I, I, it made me think, yeah, our lives, our Christian lives are run on some batteries. And uh, I might be wrong, mightn't I? People looking at each other thinking, no, this is not right. He's, 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 he's taken you for gullible, hasn't he? Yeah, okay, maybe he has. I don't know. Look in, into it. Anyway, the, our, our lives have batteries. I think there are three. Paul often talks about faith, hope, and love. These three fuels, these three, if you like, motors in our Christian lives. They're all important. They're all vital. They're all key to our, our faith and on going forward in Christ. And um, I think we're quite good, most of us, most of you, 
are, are keeping the battery of faith pumped and fueled. Yeah, we have some wobbles, but we go back to faith. I think we're quite good at, at keeping love recharged. Uh, we've been looking at love only the last couple of weeks, and we come forward again, and we ask for more. Yes, Lord, help us to understand love, to, to experience your love, to be more loving to you, more loving to others around us. So we're, we're quite naturally in the loop of knowing we need a bit more of that. But I wonder whether at times we neglect the battery of hope. One commentator said, the importance of hope in the New Testament is often missed. Now, I'm not alone if it's just me in this church, fair enough. But, you know, there are others out there who would agree. Hope, someone else said, is the modern Cinderella in Paul's triad of Christian graces. Flouncy language, but it's the same thing. Do we neglect hope? Pope Benedict XVI even said, um, faith is for the purpose of hope, which is interesting, as if there's some kind of connection to the two. So let's look, faith and love and hope. Now, faith, we know, is the entry point into God's kingdom. Already in Romans, the book we're in, uh, or just dipping into, four times at least, Paul is explaining that we are saved by faith. It's faith that, that changes and transforms our life in Jesus Christ. So we know that's important. Well, love, we know, is important because it is the eternal virtue. Um, somewhere else in Corinthians, Paul, Paul explains that faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. You think, well, why, is, why is love greater? And in the context of his discussion, it's because love will continue for all eternity. There will come a day when we're in the new heavens and the new earth with our glorious resurrection bodies, and, and faith and hope, which we've been looking to for all our lives, will be eclipsed by what we see. Faith and hope will become redundant for us who believe. We won't need them because we will see. We will see God in all his glory. We'll be part of this new creation. But love, love will remain. Love for God. Love for one another. We're being trained in love for those days. And it's faith and hope that's going to get us there. You see, so hope, how does hope fit in to this picture? See, I think hope is another vital element in this life. In this life, it fuels our endurance. In this period of time of the now and not yet of God's kingdom, the kingdom has come, but the kingdom is to come. What do we need to get through this period? We need endurance. Where does that come from? It comes from hope. It comes from hope. To the Thessalonian church, Paul commended them. He said, your work produced by faith. Beautiful. He said, your, your labor is prompted by love. Excellent. And he said, thirdly, your endurance is inspired by hope. Faith, love will get us going. It will get us moving. It will get us acting. It's not that the acting, the, the activity is what saves us, but faith produces it. But it's hope that keeps us going. It's hope that helps us persevere. And I wonder whether sometimes we, we, we gloss over, neglect perhaps the hope element of those three because we're not always sure exactly how it differs from faith. And if there's one difference to draw out, I would suggest it's this, that faith is more focused on the present. Hope is more focused on the future. Well, others agree that hope is important. A psychologist called Barbara Fredrickson explains that hope keeps you from collapsing into despair. 
We see examples of that over history when there's not the hope. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl tells a story of a man in a concentration camp who was convinced that they would be liberated by Christmas. He kept going. And Christmas came. And Christmas went. And no liberators came that Christmas. And he explains how he, he just curled up and died. That was the thing that kept him going in such awful circumstances. He probably would have died already. It was hope, liberation, coming. But then when that was dashed, nothing. The Bible describes hope as the anchor for the soul in Hebrews 6. Dave Smith, who wrote the Transform Life series we've been going through, he said that one of the major benefits of hope is that it helps us deal with suffering, setbacks. Disappointments. The psalmist in Psalm 42, 43, that great combo of psalms that kind of go together, those twin psalms of the, of the downcast psalmist, he keeps coming back to this refrain, put your hope, he's talking to his own soul, put your hope in God. He explains how he's going through so many difficulties. And he, he knows that hope is the antidote to spiritual dryness. As a deer pants for streams of living water, put your hope in, in God. He knows that hope is the antidote to uh, being overwhelmed. He talks about being, being pummeled by, the, by the, roar, the waterfall, being bashed around by the breakers on the shore. He says, put, put your hope, O soul, in, in the Lord. And thirdly, he talks about being rejected. And like drowning in the bitter tears of, of mourning and, and, and oppression. And he says to himself, put your hope in the Lord. Hope, you see, is the antidote. It's what we need. Hope is vital for all people and for us as believers. But what the world talks about when we talk about hope and what we're referring to here can, can be at odds, can be slightly different. Well, fundamentally different. You see, the world talks about hope as a vain wish, as a, as a preference for what might happen in the future. It's, it's based on a house of cards. It's just what they want to happen, how they hope things work out. A remote possibility that they cling on to, even if the odds are stacked against it. But that's not how the Bible refers to hope. The Bible hope, biblical hope, godly hope, it's based on confident certainty. It's based on the promises of God. The Christian hope, in essence, is based on a historic fact, based on an event. Jesus rose from the dead. That's our hope. That is our hope. And it gives us hope in a number of ways. I just want to highlight three before we end, and then will, I think, be time for some ministry and maybe another song. Hope for our bodies. In Philippians 3, it says that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We've been going through the transformed life, and yes, God has transformed us for those who are in Christ by faith. And he's going on transforming us as we go on in our sanctification in him. But this is the ultimate. Jesus will transform our lowly bodies. Is your body feeling lowly this morning? 
Mine is. But then, you know, I'm a bit older than some of you. Uh, you young ones, you don't know much about the lowly body, but it'll catch up on you. We trust in time. Bits that wear out don't work so well, etc. But even the fact we need sleep reminds us, doesn't it? These bodies, they're, they're limited. They have finite abilities. But because Jesus physically rose from the dead, those who trust in him will be physically raised to life in the next life. We'll actually have a physical body in which our soul will exist. It'll be a bit like these bodies. I think we'll recognize each other, but they'd be made of different stuff, better stuff, lasting stuff. They'll never know sadness or sickness or sleepiness or sagginess. They'll be of a different material. We'll, we'll feast on banquets. We'll walk through walls. We'll fly to the clouds. We'll explore the universe. And we'll enjoy doing things, taking up responsibilities, being part of a family, enjoying one another. And it's because of that hope, based on the resurrection of Jesus, not vanity, not wishfulness, on, a, on, a, on an event, that we don't grieve like the world grieves. Oh, we grieve. Oh, it's painful and it's tearful and it's, and it's hard. But it, but it is different because there's hope. And because of the hope for our bodies, we, we don't suffer like the world suffers. Oh, we suffer. Many of you in this room can testify. It hurts. And it keeps hurting. We were praying for healing earlier. That's because some of us need healing. Because it's not nice. But we don't, we don't suffer like the world suffers because we have hope. Our resurrection bodies, based on the resurrection of Jesus. Someone I know and love very dearly has gone through 18 months of cancer treatment, various operations, chemotherapies, and it looks like there's going to be more to come. But the quality that has stood out in her life, despite going through things that have been very difficult, despite still having an uncertain uh, prognosis, is she's walked with hope. There's been tears and heartache, but there has been hope. And those around her can see she bubbles with joy. She's full of the peace of God because she's got hope. Yeah, she's suffering, she's grieving, but, but there's hope. There is hope. We have hope for the church. I saw the holy city, said John in Revelation 21, talking about the church, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, the church at times looks weak in the world, does it not? Maybe weaker these days in the West than it did in previous generations. Maybe weaker again post-COVID and the lockdown. Most churches are saying in the UK there are fewer of us, there's less going on. We can look a bit marginalised in our society, relegated perhaps to yesteryear thinking. We're bruised by what's going on in the world, which affected us as well. But we do know that in the last days, the church will take centre stage. All other organizations, kingdoms, companies will be gone. But the church, all eyes will be fixed on the church. It will endure. 
The kingdom of God will endure when Jesus returns. The gospel, our message, Jesus rose from the dead. It can look foolish in this world. When you have those opportunities, and bless you, Sheila, for again encouraging us with your uh, witnessing opportunities, and that will spur us to be equally bold and courageous when we have those opportunities. But you can lose the words in the moment because we know we've got foolishness. What's going to sound like foolishness to others? But we can be assured that the gospel will go round the world and every tribe and language and culture will submit and surrender to this Jesus. So we endure. We endure disappointments and setbacks and, dis- and frustrations in church life with each other at times because we have hope for the church. We will stand firm as someone was praying out earlier because we have hope. Hope for the church. We're looking with the eyes of hope. Yes, the last year has been challenging for us as King's Church. Uh, for all the reasons I've said before, plus there are leadership changes. I know that. But our hope is not in the ebb and flow of numbers, of ministries, of people, of leaders. It is not. It's in the Word of God, which is given for us for the encouragement and endurance for, that we are going to need. Fueled by hope. Fueled by hope. Hope for the church. And we have, thirdly, hope for creation. Romans 8, Paul describes the creation being subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There is some agreement between COP26, the political efforts... David Attenborough, the popularized, you know, champion and extinction rebellion, the more activists amongst us. There's some commonality with them and us. We agree the creation is groaning. It is struggling. The whole world is in suffering. And Christians can be, should be, at the forefront of sustainability, of environmental stewardship, if you like. But, you know, our our ultimate hope for the planet is not so much in international treaties, although they can do a lot of good, is not so much in breakthrough technologies and their adoption, although they can be powerful, but is in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? The new creation that is promised for this world. And because of that hope, we can invest our time and our talents for the benefit of the community and society as a whole, to serve the poor, And to build a better world through our occupations, through our vocations, through our stewardship of the resources God gives us. There's a war in Ukraine on European soil and it's brutal and it's horrific. There's an economic crisis around the world and it's affecting us in the UK. The cost of living is a major challenge. More domestically, there is uncertainty about the union that we call the United Kingdom as well as in other ways for the future of this nation, for our children and their children. And we've got to be careful we're not sapped into this hopelessness that our neighbours are struggling with, our colleagues, our family members. We can stand out. We have a source and a reason to be more hopeful because we're not looking so much at the things of the world. Our longings, our focus, like the heroes of um, Hebrews 11, is looking for a better country. 
a better land, a heavenly one. A restored Eden. So I hope I've convinced you that hope is a powerful force. It's important and we need it. The world needs it and we need it. It's up there with faith and love in this lifetime. And love will remain. We saw it with the beavers. Beavers living through winter after continuous winter and the other animals of Narnia, this never-ending winter, cold and snow and the spell of the white witch on the land. But they, but they had joy. And they had peace. Because they had hope. And they infected the children, the four children. Peter, Susan, is that right? Got them right? Edmund, Lucy. They just stumbled into Narnia. They were going to go back. It sounded a bit scary. But it was because of the hope. The contagious hope of the beavers. They didn't fully understand it, but they stuck around. They got involved. They went on the fight. They won the victory. They sat on the thrones. That's the power of hope. Amen.